with us being stuck at home, most of us have gotten bored of scrolling through social media. Pare-parehong tao, pare-parehong ganap, pare-parehong everything sa feed natin. Kaya minsan, doon lang ako all day long sa two favorite apps ko, Netflix and YouTube. Have a social media break and grab yourself a snack with Globe Prepaid's GoPlus 99. With just 99 pesos, you can now have 16 GB of data to start your binge-watching and own the moment with the data of your choice. With GoPlus 99 with GoWatch, you get a total of 16 GB of data. Bale, that's 8 gig for all sites to do what you need and 8 gig of data for apps to do what you love. You also get unlimited text sa mga networks, all networks yan, for 7 days. Kaya register to GoPlus 99 via the new Globe One app or Gcash or dial asterisk 143 hashtag on your phone. Break free from your daily grind with Globe Prepaid's GoPlus 99. Go watch Omo! Podcast Network Asia. So, welcome to Sabayan with Victoria. Today is going to be an all-English episode because we are going international today or tonight. No matter, it doesn't matter what time you listen. But a little background about my guest. I went to Singapore recently for an as-yet secret project. And... I went to see and experience Singapore sidecars, which you can find on Instagram. And it, the background was, uh, Simon, it was like 7, it was early in the morning, relatively early, 9 a.m. It was the fifth day of our shoot in Singapore and I wasn't really... Yeah, it was nice and early and uh, it was good because you guys picked a weekend morning. So you managed to avoid all the traffic. So you got, you know, you got some nice empty roads to zoom around on. Yeah. Not that they have much traffic in Singapore anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you got the, the streets all to yourself. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before we go on with the conversation, I always forget to introduce the guest and already talk to the guest. Simon Wong is our guest for this episode and he's the owner of Singapore Sidecars, which is um, a social... Um, yeah. venture in Singapore where they feature Vespas, restored Vespas, and some are new Vespas, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm the co-founder of Singapore Sidecars. We're a social enterprise. And the other chap, he was here just now, actually. He's just visiting. Uh, he's, he doesn't want to be the face of it. So Johnny, so you, gotta, you, gotta, you have to know this name, Johnny Chen. Johnny uh, Chen. Yeah. The magic of Sidecars really belongs to Johnny Chen. Um, so he started to restore and uh, put together vintage Vespers with sidecars in Singapore about, um, uh, this, could, this would probably be more than a decade ago when he started doing this just for fun, you know. Yeah. Um, so he had this childhood dream where um, he, saw, uh, he saw a movie and then he saw like a you know, motorbike sidecar in a movie and he thought, oh man, that looks so cool. When I grow up, I want one of those. You know, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So he finally put one together just for fun, and uh, and then he he realized, hey, so it's not legal to actually put human beings in these in Singapore, but you, mm. there are such things as ice cream sidecars or sidecars that carry you know equipment or gear. That's mm-hmm. okay, but at that point, there's no legal way to put a human being inside. So then Johnny thought, okay, it would be just just cool to have people in these things because they just look cool, and that's it. Yeah. You know, no other reason. It's just fun and cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he. Uh, long story short, about Johnny, he single handedly changed the law 
Um, and this is ama the amazing thing about Singapore. They have all these laws. They're quite strict about stuff. But if you have a great idea, you can change the law. Yeah, so yeah. That's he managed to, yeah, he managed to talk to the right authorities and um, they got very interested in what he was doing and they agreed. Hey, it's actually cool, you know, to have add a bit of character to the streets. Why not have these little vehicles zipping around? So they, they, they said, if you can make this engineering safe and these are the standards you must meet, then mm -hmm. please go ahead. So he, he, he knows engineering, right? So he made it engineering safe, met all the standards set by the, the government and um, yeah, got human beings into them. So that's when I came along and yeah, I, yeah. I, I saw a pair of these parked outside an old house near where I live. And then I thought, uh, wow, these look so cool. I have no idea these things exist. I've got no idea they exist in Singapore. This was before the venture of uh, Singapore sidecars, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. normal day. And you were just going along with your day and then you saw, was it a Vespa or it was a different brand, right? It was a Vespa. So, it was a Vespa. Yeah. So he had two vintage Vespas fully restored and they look gorgeous. Like you can smell the paintwork and the oil and the whole thing. It smelled like, a, you know, it just came from the showroom yeah. and they were outside his, his house, perfectly restored with vintage style sidecars attached. And, um, and there was nobody there at, at this point. This was day number one. Day number one, I walked past, I saw them, I stared, I took pictures and then yeah. I walked off. Day number two, I walked by and they're still there. Same effect. Day number three, I walked by and Johnny's standing there. So I said, hey man, can I buy one from you? Because I feel like if I don't buy this from you right now, someone is going to make an offer because it's just too cool. Yeah. Someone's definitely going to buy it. Yeah. So, uh, and Johnny said, hey, yeah, you seem like a nice guy. I'd be very happy to sell you one. I, I hand restore these just for fun. That takes me about three months to put one together and get it onto the road. Um, and I've done a few of these projects, but yeah, I'd be very happy to sell you one. So I bought one and then I said to Johnny, look, Johnny, I've been involved with charity fundraising for the last few years. Would you be interested to bring these along to fundraisers? Because it's going to make a lot of people happy. And then Johnny said, hey, you know what? My, you know, one of the reasons I put this together is, it, it, you know, it's, it's very cool and it makes people smile and, and feel good. Yeah. So let's do it. Yeah, so it went from there, and we we started taking them to to fundraisers for Children's Cancer Foundation, uh, National Cancer Center, mm. and um, we did that for a number of years, various causes and fundraisers. And then the pivotal point was five or six years ago, there was a big earthquake in Nepal, and then we thought let's let's fundraise to to help with this because it's quite a major disaster, and we. We know a lot of the Nepali community here. Have, have sorry, that, that, so sorry to cut you off, but it was a major uh, earthquake in which area? Uh, Nepal. Nepal, okay. Yeah, yeah, Nepal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was the, the big one uh, five or six years ago. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we have friends there too. So we thought, I think we should help with this. So that was the turning point. And we, we asked Tourism Board for permission to put seven of these sidecars somewhere smack in the city center where it's just keeping yeah. with people at the weekends and we said what have you got for us and they said okay look we totally support this it's a great initiative how about smack in the middle of orchard road right at the junction there's a big junction in orchard road you know like this and you get like swarms of people crossing mm -hmm. at the weekends so they said yeah you know park, park, park right there so we, we we set up there on a saturday morning and then we put up a mini exhibition to showcase the people and the places that we wanted to help in Nepal. And um, uh, then we thought, oh my God, this thing looks too intimidating. I think people are going to see this on the street and they're going to walk around it like we're selling insurance. <laughs> and and, and yeah. that's what we thought because it looked intimidating. It was but, like a museum. It was like a very vulnerable piece of uh, vintage something. 
like, like they weren't yeah. allowed to touch or something, right? In case they thought, yeah, you know, uh, and there's all guys everywhere. Maybe they're trying to sell us something. So yeah. we <laughs> run. Yeah. But but we were we were wrong, and we were absolutely mobbed from morning till night, the whole of Saturday through to Sunday. And people weren't just coming over and donating. They were donating a minimum of twenty sing dollars to take a mm. picture, and the money goes a hundred percent to to charity. Mm. Um, people were donating, but then immediately they would start asking, "Hey, how much is a ride? How much is a ride?" And we thought, "Oh my god." People from all walks of life, from all over the world, passing through the middle of Singapore, elderly, uh, retired couples, children, families, they were all asking for a ride. And we thought, I think we have to turn this into a social enterprise. Mm. We can, uh, you know, we can make a little something back and that will support the charity work that we do. So we currently pay for everything out of our own pockets and we're fine with that, you know. Uh, but it would be nice, you know, if you can start buying a meal for the volunteers or give them, give them their cab fares home or that sort of thing. Um, so we then went to tourism board and uh, we, we said, look, this has been happening for the last few years. Every time we turn up at fundraisers, we're absolutely mobbed. And the big one was Orchard Road, which you supported. Um, so here's the deal. We're going to start this company. It's going to be a startup. After we've started it, we're broke. But can you tell the whole planet about this? Because no one, no one in the world has done this before. And no one's going to be doing it on the scale that we're thinking of. And Tourism Board, basically, they said, okay, that's a deal. So they told the planet. Two years before COVID, we, we, we officially opened. And in week one, uh, we were getting maybe five, five bookings. But because of Tourism Board telling the planet, by the end of month 12, we were getting over 1,000 bookings a month. And... Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. 1,000 bookings for like Vespa rides with sidecars. Yeah. Were you able to fulfill the demand of 1,000? I remember uh, asking you this, yeah. but I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> you were able to fulfill yeah, yeah. the demand. We, uh, we have rarely missed a ride. So we have pretty much, say, 99% of the time oh, wow. to fulfill. But very, very rarely we'll say, oh, I'm sorry, we're so booked up. You know, yeah. <laughs> guys are working till 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we were we always managed to somehow schedule it. Yeah, mm. it was crazy. Um, yeah, that's 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 the end of nutshell of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the amazing thing is just it seems so easy or not really easy, but the the Singapore local government and you're talking to the tourism board of the national national tourism board, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's the Singapore Tourism Board. SD. Yeah, it's just very, it's just a very amazing and encouraging story to hear. Like a private enterprise or even individuals going up to governments and the governments yeah. being very receptive, yeah. which is very uh, unthinkable here <laughs> in the country <laughs> as of the moment. It, that's why it's very like they changed the laws to be able to allow the Vespa yeah. sidecars. But about that. Unfortunately, we're a podcast, so the people can't see it. But fortunately, IG. you can search it. Instagram, yeah, Singapore yeah. Sidecars. Do you have a Facebook page? or? or? Uh, same thing. It will be Singapore Sidecars. Yeah, so it's very easy to, to search for them. And also, yeah. I'll be opening... I'm thinking of opening a, either a Telegram or Facebook group so that people can see. Because I have guests here, and after the episode, there are a lot of links to things and events yeah, yeah. there. So I'm thinking of like opening a group where the listeners can actually see and uh, yeah, yeah interact and click yeah. so um when yeah. i open that i hope that the listeners join so you can see the singapore sidecars again it was early in the morning it was our fifth shooting day 12 hours a day for five straight days so i was really tired and then you just told your story and immediately i was awake and then i saw the vespas and the word that you used 
all the time to 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 explain the experience or describe the experience was happy. And when you see a Vespa, it's just a happy thing. Yeah. Like it's just a yeah. shiny small thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, you said there were there was a, a factory of Vespa, uh, a Vespa factory in Singapore. That's why. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 1965, uh, April. So this is pre-independence. Um, so Singapore was independent in August 1965. So in April, the Vespa factory opened here in the west of Singapore. So if you go to the National Archives of Singapore, you get all these links to that day and. Tons of black and white photos, and you see the the minister of the day, Go King Sui, standing there cutting the ribbon, mm. uh, and you see the same model vintage sidecar that we have also have in the fleet. You see the same bikes pouring off uh, the factory lines and driving out, and and then it gets you thinking. You know what? The, you know <laughs> some of the bikes that our guests are sitting on could be the ones in the photo because <laughs> they're restored, right? So they really is a possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They came from exactly that factory, and we had no idea. Nobody knew that these things were made here. Everyone assumed for the longest time, "Oh, must be people just importing them, or you know, yeah. some distributor getting them in." But they're actually assembled here. That was crazy. And then we discovered that uh, they went into service for Singpost and police force. So there are black and white pictures of, of this as well. And they were in service all the way until the '90s. So mm-hmm. Johnny then started um, tinkering with these in the In the 2000s, so um, there's a there's like a short break in this timeline of just a few years, and then Johnny picked them up again, and then we inadvertently put them into tourism use. So there's this, there's a continuation of this Vespa yeah. story that stretches back to pre-independence. It's crazy. Tourism board loved it when they realized, oh my god, it's not just a gimmicky thing. Hey, come and ride a Vespa. It's uh, they, you know they're linked to our heritage, and they were made, yeah, and, yeah. and some of them, if these guys could speak. You know the things they've seen. Or the, um, we often get uh, people's grandparents saying, "Hey, when I was a kid, I had exactly that bike. I was riding that around." Yeah, and then then we have people uh, saying that their parents were taking them around when they were a kid. It's crazy. Yeah, it's the nostalgia factor. Plus, um, I decided to guest you in the podcast, which thank you very much for saying yes. By the way. Because here in the Philippines, in our, in, our, in our country, especially with my age group, the millennials, the older elder millennials, it's called, I think, and up to yeah. the young millennials, yeah. bikes, motorbikes, and scooters are now a thing uh, in the Philippines, or yeah. even like bicycles. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would be interested in seeing restored Vespas. Yeah. Uh, because I don't want to be exclusive, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just the man, the man in me, I guess. Yeah. Seeing something restored, you know, the machinery, yeah. the engineering. Yeah. Like, I would yeah. ask you, what's this button do? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's you know? something very cool about about the machine. Um, and it has a very universal appeal. Um, it has universal appeal, yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, I don't want to be exclusive. It's not just for the men. I'm just saying yeah, from yeah, my yeah. experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, for, for Vespa Saika, it has this sort of universal appeal. A, a lot more so than a motorbike, you know, which just right. looks like a very dude thing. Right. You know? And it's like, then it's kind of a particular kind of dude that wants to go riding around on right, this right. grimy, but cool looking machine. But Vespa seems to have uh, a more of a universal appeal and, and even little kids like it, you know, <laughs> be running up to it and just climbing in. Yeah. yeah. So like you said, from all walks of life, and like you pointed out, it's not an intimidating uh, yeah. machine, or nor is it like a bicycle with ribbons and tassels yeah. with a, with a belt. Yeah. It's really w- whatever gender you are and whatever age group, because like you said, there are grandparents who it was crazy, yeah, uh, yes, or like a 
a hit of nostalgia when they see the side. Yeah, comes. yeah. So that 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 reminds me, you know, the the oldest person that we have, and we get a lot of elderly uh, on the sidecars. Um, the oldest, I think, now is about eighty-seven. I think something wow. like that. Okay. Yeah. At one point, it was an eighty-four-year-old grandma, you know, and it was a a, a surprise birthday present from the daughter. And then, uh, and then they got started getting older, and then it became an eighty-seven-year-old grandpa, and now holds the record, the Amazing. oldest person on sidecar. But we get a lot of elderly in the seventies to eighties, and quite often it's a it's a birthday celebration or an anniversary, and, and once in a while it's a surprise. So the biggest surprise was when the eighty-four-year-old granddad was surprised by three generations uh, of his family. So they checked him into a hotel. And then they said, "Hey, granddad, it's time for dinner. Come, come downstairs." So he came downstairs, and there were three generations of family sitting on fifteen sidecars outside. Wow! The door. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and his jaw dropped. Yeah, so his That's wife amazing. was there, the grandma wow. was there. Wow! Um, but the kind of feedback you get, and people say, "Oh my God, the the memories that we have now, we we you know happy memories for life." Because you. You can ride the Singapore sidecars. Well, first of all, what about the the young kids? I remember asking you this because yeah. you got old uh, older folk sitting yeah, in the yeah. sidecars. What yeah. about for the um, very young ones? How can they experience Singapore sidecars? Or there might be listeners who yeah, yeah, want sure. their young ones to experience it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, Singapore law. So you know, very strict on safety. Ten mm. uh, years old and above, you're all good. If you're if you're under 10, uh, it's fine. You can hop in and take your photos and all that sort of thing. But we have a different tour format for the under 10s, mm. where we have a vintage beetle that follows along. Beetle, yeah, yeah, it's a vintage beetle, and then the roof comes off this one. So we get these little kids kind of like sticking their head over the roof, standing on the chairs if they can. Yeah, and they'll see the parents right next to them on the sidecar, and they follow along. Um, so that that's that that's 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 how the under 10s can. Um, follow along with the tour. But 10 and above, yeah, they just go straight into the sidecar. All right. So that's great. So you already thought of everything for, for all age groups. Plus uh, you're maybe. protected by the, the the law, of course. It's very safe in, in Singapore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything. But you go to the side streets. What I experienced was going to the side street and I think one main street. Yeah. But I saw your pictures on Instagram and you can go on a highway going to uh, Marina yeah. Bay Sands. The background yeah. is amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So can yeah. you go like all around Singapore with yeah. Singapore sidecars? You pretty much can, yeah. I mean, we, we go up to Malaysia, you know, pre, pre-lockdown, pre-Malaysia lockdown. We, we literally ride up to Malaysia. Um, you cannot go on expressways in Singapore, you know, like the six-lane sort of eight-lane carriageway yeah, yeah. roads. Yeah, but you can go on highways. So that's why you see them going up to Marina Bay Sands. And that's that's a really cool thing. So it's like a big, big, big expanse of road and you can ride all the way up and it's like you're flying towards the hotel. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. So we, we, we can do stuff like that. Uh, the longest trip we've done um, so far is um, pre-COVID. We did two of these actually pre-COVID. We wanted to... Uh, or rather just just before people knew really what COVID was. There was no such thing as a lockdown or masks. None of these things were known. Um, we decided that um, we wanted to raise funds for frontliners to to fight this COVID thing, you know, this sort of unknown yeah. thing that seems yeah. to be everywhere suddenly. Yeah, so we, we decided, we called up the record books and we said, hey, look, we've done this race to Penang before on four vintages from Singapore to Penang. And you guys gave us 72 hours to do it before. And uh, before that was raising funds for cancer research. Mm-hmm. This time around, we want to raise funds to fight COVID. 
um, we want to set a new record. How many hours can you give us? And then they said, yeah, 72 was, uh, yep, that was reasonable. So, so how about do it in 12 hours? <laughs> we thought, what? 72. <laughs> yeah, how does that work out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we didn't, even, we didn't even stop to do any maths. And we immediately said, no, we can't do that. Can you give us 24 yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe? <laughs> or give us a day and a half? Yeah, how would you squeeze that into half a day? And they said, no, that's all we're going to give you. Uh, so we did the maths and we thought, I think we can just about make it. You know, you go flat out all the way to Penang and we're definitely going to send four because we only need one to cross the line to make it. So we have four chances, right? If three of them break down or get right, lost right. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, have... sorry to cut you off again, but Penang is in Malaysia, I think. Yeah, Penang's in Malaysia. It's Penang, uh, Malaysia, all right. 800 miles north. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so, so uh, um, I mean, Usually, I mean, if you take it easy, I mean, you can you can rush there in a car, but if you take it easy, people people normally stop somewhere for the night and then carry on the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's a nice road trip. You know, it's actually a very scenic road trip. Okay, so we had two support trucks. We had two vintages and two modern sidecars. And then we had a whole team of riders taking shifts. And then uh, the bizarrest thing was all sidecars made it just after nine hours. Oh, wow. That was weird. Yeah. 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 I mean, two of the riders refused to change shift, right? Because you were supposed to ride for a few hours mm. if you want, and then you can get your backup rider, right? Um, but two of them said, now we're just going to keep going. Uh, and by the time they arrived, they were dehydrated, delirious, <laughs> but they crossed the line in record time. Yeah, it was amazing. So um, these, the, that, that, that was also, you know, what gave us the confidence um, in the machines, you know, we know that, wow, these things can take yeah. that sort of uh, grueling long-distance ride. And then uh, if, if the next thing you're doing is just riding around the lanes of Singapore, we know, okay, yeah, these machines are safe. Yeah. yeah. You look at a Vespa and it looks like a carnival ride or a carnival toy, but you forget that it's a legit you know, <laughs> yeah. scooter used by the post office and even the police. So it's really a legit. And like you said, um, I remember you telling me before that the machine of the Vespa is unchanged since the 60s or 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just changed the transmission, right? To make it automatic or something. Yeah, yeah. So now the the modern version is automatic. The the old versions um, with technology dating from the 1940s, it's ultra mechanical and and very simple to the point where um, teenagers can, can literally pick yeah. up how to fix these things and then and, and fix them very well yeah so it's not like super complicated you can actually learn how to look after these things yourself sobra stressful talaga when you do things nang walang break diba buti na lang with globe prepaids go plus 99 pwede ka mag-register to go watch and start grinding to finish your favorite TV series on Netflix, YouTube, View, I Want TFC, or even G Movies. Go Plus 99 with Go Watch lets you get a total of 16 GB of data. That's 8 gig of all of data for sites to do what you need and 8 gig of data for apps that you love. Tsaka meron ka pang unlimited texts to all network valid for 7 days. Sulit na sulit. Register. Go to New Globe One app. Download nyo lang yan. Register nyo yung GoPlus99 or pwede rin kayo mag-register sa Gcash. 
or i-dial nyo ang asterisk 143 hashtag on your phone. Register to Globe Prepaid's Go Plus 99 now and start seizing the moment. Let's seize the moment of this podcast episode back to our intellectual wallet. It's very hardy and very, very reliable and durable. I mean, 1940s, I mean, the technology is, is like 80 years old. Yeah, yeah. It works. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. With, the, with the cars now, just like a side comment, you know, like you look at cars now and then the, the handbrake is electronic. Yeah. You know, so you wonder like, is this really safe? It's just uh, electricity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, cause we, we come from the generation of seeing the of driving stick, you yeah. know, and handbrake. Yeah. And then now everything yeah. is electronic. Even the speedometer is electronic. And then you just yeah. think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. no, break in the future. Yeah. And, and when it does break, you, you can't fix it yourself. Can't fix it, But yeah. Mechanical stuff, you know, there's a lot of things you can still do. Mm, yeah. And what about uh, restoring Vespas? Are you strict with the with the supplies? Is it is it strictly like original equipment? What is it? Call it OEM or something? Is it supposed to be all original or... You're pretty lax with the parts. 100% original. So we do have replica parts. Yeah. But we're strict on the quality. Uh, and it's um, it's often quite hard to get good quality chrome mm-hmm. parts, for instance. Um, so we're, we're, we're very strict on the quality. Um, so right now, we, we're, we're, we're very lucky. We found very good suppliers for good quality replica vintage chrome lights. And once in a while, we do find some really old lights. Yeah. So we right, use right. them as well. Um, but it, it will be a mix, but it, it's based on, um, it's based on quality. Mm. And what about the uh, one thing I experienced and I really enjoyed, uh, when I tried it was the vintage goggles and the vintage helmet <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. comes with the, with the rental of the Singapore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And some people do ask, you know, they write in and say, oh, but I don't have a bike license. Can I still take the ride? So just, 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 just to be clear, you don't need a bike license. You, you're going to be riding shotgun, right? The whole right, time. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so our riders are trained to do that. Um, and, and also, they're, they're, they're not actually that easy to operate. You need a little bit of basic training. So our riders take two basic training sessions and then three probationary ride sessions right. uh, to, to familiarize, fully familiarize, even, even, even if they are qualified and experienced um, riders. We, we still make sure they, they really familiarize with the machine. And yeah, you're right. They come with uh, vintage uh, style helmets. So the, this is the same style you would see from the 1960s, and you'll see them race car drivers or Formula yeah. One in the 1960s yeah. wearing these style helmets. It's just the old old school helmet. The goggles, um, it's the same design that you see in movies, and these are replica 1940s bomber goggles. And yeah. uh, you, you'll see these in uh, you'll see these in movies in the 1940s era movies, um, and it's exactly the same design. Um, And, and you see them in sci-fi movies as well. They they rarely modify them. They just look cool as is. Yeah. And uh, and, and, and they're actually functional. So if, if it gets uh, a little bit drizzly, uh, you slip the goggles on. It helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, what about the sidecar? The sidecar design is based on the vintage Vespas that the yes. police used also? Uh, it's based on a, a, a vintage Italian design that mm-hmm. is extremely rare. So it was designed to match the styling of the original Vespa design. And it's so rare. So when we get um, older Italian um, tourists turning up and taking a ride, once in a while they will say, hey, you know, when I was a kid, I remember seeing maybe once or twice this style sidecar on the street Mm -hmm. attached to a Vespa. 
and even then that was a rare find and that you know and that that's a, a, an italian grandpa telling us these things so it's rare it's very rare yeah and again just to em- to reemphasize what you said if you rent singapore side guys experience it 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 takes a a special skill to drive a vespa with a sidecar so you can't drive the vespa also because that's their baby you know understandable you know you're, they restore that thing for months and then they're not just going to let anyone drive it but they're going to let anyone ride it and then i think the avengers also had that experience right of- yeah so joe russo the um, the director of the avengers turned up with an entourage so you know producers some family members and uh it was amazing so this was uh the second month after we opened so this was part of tourism board's pledge to us as part of the deal and they really st- stood by their deal and said yes we'll market this and sell the planet so the second month uh joe russo turns up to so the avengers movie opened in singapore he came along took the ride they had about uh, 10 10 or 11 sidecars there was a very very funny story up around that one they took a morning slot like you did yeah and uh Um, around 7:30 in the morning, Hollywood phones up and they said, "Hey, we need one more sidecar. Is that okay? Can we take one more?" Uh, and we said, "Yeah, you know, we know you're Hollywood, but uh, I think we can just wake someone up at 7:30 and say, 'Hey, man, yeah. get on your bike, start riding now.'" So yeah, sorry, Hollywood, you can't have that 11th or, or 12th sidecar. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so when that ride started on social media at exactly the same time, we saw. pictures of benedict cumberbatch walking around by himself in the next block <laughs> sweating away yeah. and we realized oh my god we just made doctor strange take a walk he was going to be the, you know, <laughs> yeah. the the missing passenger but then we realized actually you know what i think this this is what this is the true story this is what happened benedict would have turned up with the group and then they would have said hey you know that's that that side cast for you and then he would have then said no 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 i think you should take it you know it's okay you know i'll i'll just go for a walk you 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 take the side yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think he did a gentlemanly thing and he let someone else take the ride and he went for a walk mm, yeah 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 so that's <laughs> another admirable thing about singapore like people respect that even though they're hollywood they're big time you know there are certain rules and like you just you can't just bump off an average citizen who rented the bike and say ah the avengers need you need your scooter Like everyone, everyone gets a chance to ride it. And since Avengers rode it, what is like the maximum height or or, or size? Because I imagine the Hollywood actors are yeah, yeah. huge. So, uh, so we we figured out later on. So we wanted uh, we wanted to to know what the measurement actually was for height. Because once in a while we get really tall guys sitting in. So that the the next tallest American after the the uh, Joe Russo group was um, uh, we had a guy from Texas who was um, six foot five. Mm. Um, And he just he just fitted right in because basically you you I mean you just bend your legs right that's it you know and your knees are here and that's it you know it's not to do you know you don't straighten your legs out in a sidecar you bend them so that's that's you know that's how tall people fit so then the time after that there was um, there was a, a Singaporean guy who was also six foot five and I said okay wait wait I want to take a video of this because people keep asking this question right 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 and, and they'll ask and then they're trying to visualize how how am I going to fit in. So I think let's show them the video. So we have videos of this six foot guy, six foot five guys just climbing in. Yeah, so that we we usually share that when people ask, "Am I going to fit? I'm really tall." So we send them that video. All right. So you have like a testimonial of <laughs> we have that as well. Hollywood actors are in the local <laughs> Singapore. <laughs> yeah. And I think by this point, the the listeners we call them philosopher, like listeners of of the podcast would be like because we have the same thing in the Philippines called a tricycle. It's very common around the world, so it's just like a 
Some might think it's just a, a normal tricycle. But I think the thing that really impressed me was how organized everything was, how everything was was packaged, um, and how everything was coordinated with the local government. Because there's this um, very famous lane in Singapore, in Kampung Gilam, called Haji Lane, where people drink on the streets. And that's where I experienced the... Uh, well, it was morning, so there were few people. But then if you wave at the people eating or, or drinking, they just wave back. So it's like a happy experience, even though you're a stranger in a silly looking vintage thing. And it just puts a smile on their face. And it's just... Yeah. Everyone's going to say hi to you. Everyone yeah. says hi. The cameras start coming out. Um, and again, it's one of the the effects that you will have on people. If you're, you're riding around in a sidecar, everyone instantaneously becomes your friend. Uh, and yeah. that you did going down Haji Lane. Um, if you, if you do that uh, on a, on an evening when it's absolutely packed, you know, like tonight, Saturday night, um, it's going to be absolutely heaving. So Haji Lane loves sidecars so much. The committee basically said, Hey guys, you know, we pedestrianized the lane after certain hours, but um, you know, you guys, please ride down anytime because it, it draws so much attention to Haji Lane, and suddenly all the cameras come out, and there's a hundred photos of sidecars and Haji Lane, you know, instantaneously being, being sent around. Please keep on riding down Haji Lane. So when we go down there during dinner time, um, it's quite interesting. There's a lady there called Eileen, and Eileen is awesome. So she's one of the um, big stakeholders in Haji Lane. She has about seven restaurants in there now. She loves the place so much. Um, and she's also one of the people that put graffiti everywhere in Haji Lane. Right. Uh, this is all Eileen, Eileen's doing. Uh, and she's great. So she's, um, she, she will be on some of the, the shop houses in the corner, right at the junction. So that, that those are, those, a whole bunch of those belong to her. So she will personally start walking down the street with her gang you know, waiters and staff and just start pushing all the tables and chairs aside and then, you know, politely telling diners, hey guys, okay, just sit back for a second, enjoy this. And then all the sidecars go down in, in like a big convoy down the middle. Yeah. yeah, and then they're all waving at you. So Eileen will make sure that, uh, you know, this, uh, we get to ride through if it's that packed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and evenings it is. And you also told me before that sometimes people give you drinks if you're riding a sidecar. Right, you know, pre-COVID, once in a while, you'd swipe food off the table. Nobody minds. <laughs> Did you remember that? There was a, there was a moment in the uh, original Italian job movie with Michael Caine uh, in the 60s, right? And they're driving the minis around and riding around the pavements, you know, and streets of, yeah. of Rome. And there's one part where they're driving past all the cafes and just swiping food off the table. So we got the idea from there. We thought, hey, oh, yeah, cool. nice, nice. ride down here and steal some chicken drumsticks. Yeah, yeah. So it's really amazing what you did. And the thing that made me, I guess, uh, extra impressed or even emotional was the story happened right before COVID. I mean, everything was picking up during a pre-COVID. Yeah. You know, the Avengers came and then everything yeah. and then COVID hit. So how was that experience for you? And you also told me that experience of the first time Singapore sidecars came out into the streets and what that meant oh my to the God. locals around. It was yeah. a great story, and I think that the listeners would appreciate that. Uh, that was crazy. So, yeah. So, the, 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 the month or so when COVID was becoming a big thing and countries started, you know, shutting the borders, um, we, we, we were getting like, a, you know, from a thousand a month, uh, it, it reduced to a trickle and by mm. April, May-ish, you know, that, that trickle had kind of died. I think by June, one or two people would be turning up and that was it. Um, and the government were very, very quick to reboot us in July. So there was a, a 
couple of months, it was really quiet. So Singapore had a, a soft lockdown mm. uh, last year, um, sort of April, May sort of period. And, um, and it wasn't encouraged to go outside. You know, it wasn't illegal. You could go out and do your groceries. But if it's non-essential, you know, the government advice, you know, just stay at home. Um, so um, they rebooted tourism again in July. And likewise, um, you know, they, they, they really stuck to their deal. You know, they, they, they promised to really push sidecars to the planet. They put Singapore sidecars on the first list of companies to reboot. They were, oh, wow. uh, they, they picked 19 companies and they said, you're one of them. You don't even have to ask permission. We're just going to reboot you and just go get back into business. Mm. Um, so we were not overly affected by um, um, restriction on numbers. We're an outdoor tour and it's just one person per sidecar, one guest per sidecar. So, so they said, you know, you, you can still have up to 50 people if you like. And, and during heightened alert, um, you still have up to 20 people in the group. So 20 is fine for us. Um, so the first group that we got after that, and the first time that we went riding down Haji Lane again, it was crazy because people were sitting out having dinner again. It wasn't massively crowded, but the streets were, were lined. People started clapping. It was crazy. There were people were clapping. There was some cheering, you know, and this felt like, wow, you know, people feel like, Hey, you know, COVID is not going to stop us. We're going to carry on and have lives. Yeah. yeah, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, and you were saying the Vespa and the sidecar was like a perfect uh, symbolism of the, the freedom that you lost, of course, with, with COVID and then yeah, yeah, yeah. gaining back yeah, the freedom. Yeah, it's, some, it's something about that. You, when you're riding it, yeah. you get this sense of freedom mm-hmm. and you get this feeling that, um, you, you know, you're, the, the chains are off, you know, you're, and, and you're moving. And we got that, um, that feedback a few times during, um, you know, the, the very quiet period when, when, when tourism was rebooted again. And um, we got this feedback a lot from expats that were stuck here that couldn't travel. Um, families would turn up, take the ride, and uh, they would say, hey, you know, I actually felt a sense of freedom on that ride. You know, this is what's been missing uh, this whole time that we're stuck. Um, and we, we have families saying, hey, man, that's, that's going to be as real as it gets for a little yeah. while. Yeah, but it's nice that people could feel that that sense that they lost, you know. And uh, by jumping on a sidecar, you can get that feeling back. Yeah, the the the, the little thing, the little Vespa, really symbolizes so much for. That's why I was very impressed. I still am very impressed with with your <laughs> social enterprise, because it just starts with like it's just a pretty thing. It's just a happy thing, and then you get the government working for you, and then you got the laws changed. You know, all because of this Vespa and your sidecar and your chance meeting with this um, yeah, restored uh, yeah, yeah. Johnny Chan. And then soon it's, it became like a, a symbol of COVID. And then it became a family thing with the surprise of the generation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To showcase Singapore and everything. It's just this, it's just a great, happy thing. <laughs> you know, the, the, it, it was very impressive uh, what you did. But uh, some listeners might be thinking, is this like a... A promotion episode, a tourism episode, but the, yeah. the reason I really wanted to guest you was that it's not just the it's not just the tourist experience, like everything around it. You know, the the history of Singapore with the vintage cars is, is fascinating already, and um, again, how the local government and the national government supported this enterprise, which is I don't want to throw shade on our government too much, but it's just not that common or nor easy here. Yeah. So it's another thing that really amazed me. 
And another thing, of course, was the first thing that you mentioned yeah. the morning that we arrived was why you uh, started these charitable fundraisings yeah. in the first place. Yeah. And why you're so active with that, why you're so passionate about raising funds, about different causes. Yeah. It originally started off with very, very personal reasons. So this was over a decade ago. So my late wife passed away. She was quite young at the time and it was stomach cancer. So at that point, I got heavily involved with fundraising. And I think that was, you know, probably uh, uh, like a, a grief response. You know, it just needed some yeah. positive yeah. outlet. So I got very, very involved with fundraising for mostly cancer-related causes. So cancer research or Children's Cancer Foundation. And, um, and this, this became quite a big thing, I think. Um, we would be arranging uh, celebrity concerts in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were maybe three or four celebrity concerts in a row. It wasn't all just me by myself, but a, a whole bunch of people yeah. started to, to band together. And it turned out that uh, you know, a, a lot of people are affected by this. You know, somebody's grandma maybe had it or somebody's uh, even children, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people were, were quite passionate about, about raising funds for cancer. So a bunch of us started, started doing this. And uh, we managed to get the attention of local celebrities as well. So celebrities would join and there would be an a- annual concerts uh, in Fort Canning Park, which was where all, all the big major concerts used to be held. Uh, we're very lucky we got, again, the support of, uh, of some uh, uh, venues such as Fort Canning Park. Um, um, the same guys that would be putting up the, the concerts for Madonna, you know, when they when, yes. when big acts turn up, they they basically said, look, we're going we're gonna to provide all the gear for this. We, we want this to happen because I think this is a cause that affects everyone. Yeah. We, need to, we need to do something about this. Yeah. So, so those, those, those charity fundraisers went on for a few years. And then, um, then a few years into that, that was when uh, I chanced upon Johnny's sidecars parked in the yeah. street. Yeah. So at that point, um, when I saw the sidecars, I thought, hey, Johnny, you know, um, it would be great if you're also involved in this because uh, I think sidecars would bring a lot of smiles to people's faces if we bring them to these events. So sidecars started becoming their own event and it, and it was so easy. Uh, you could just turn up and just plug into an existing event or just drive them to a cafe and yeah. have a fundraiser that evening for, um, it could even be for um, a specific child, you know, Right. Uh, fundraise for mm-hmm. family that don't have the money for the medicine. Okay, let's let's fundraise and make sure that the child gets everything that that they need to, to be well. Um, so sidecars became a very uh, easy and mobile way to fundraise or to assist fundraising. Yeah, yeah. So it, it came from there. It came from there really, and it, it it never has stopped being a social enterprise. So as soon as we we uh, started working with tourism board. Um, and, and, and the ride became popular, we realized that, uh, hey, you know what? Actually, we just wanted to make sure we could uh, do carry on doing these fundraiser events and maybe give people a meal or the taxi fare home for helping out. But we're actually making a bit of profit on top. Okay, that's great. So we have uh, we have uh, accidental business here. Okay, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But we never stopped supporting charity. So as soon as COVID hit, for that two-month soft lockdown period in Singapore, we immediately went to the, the luxury hotels that we partnered with up to that point, and there were quite a few. And we also spoke to a few new ones that we hadn't yet worked with. So guys like uh, Tangs Marriott, uh, St. Regis, Le Meridian, um, Sheraton, and uh, W. Sentosa, we basically said to them, would you like to ask your chefs to come back to work? 
and um, prepare meals on a regular basis for medical frontliners at the hospitals. Wow. If you guys do that, we will just send you sidecars and keep dropping that food to the hospitals because we know frontliners are getting food donations from the public. They're, they're that busy. You know, they don't have time or they won't. Yeah. First, if there's a life that needs to be saved, they'll go and skip a meal. You know, they'll, right, they'll right. carry on working. Um, and one of our own riders is a frontliner. So he tells us these things. He's right in there and he says, yeah, you know, if, if the food comes to them, it makes a big, di- it makes a big difference. So, um, and we thought, wouldn't it be great if uh, hospitals were receiving luxury meals from Chef's Kitchen, you know, five-star meals. Um, so that, that was the plan. So we, we, we delivered a few times a week for that whole two-month period. Uh, and we did that again recently, about three or four months ago. There was, um, there was a, um, a heightened alert period where the government said, okay, guys, look, um, we're not going to stop you going out, but if you minimize interaction, that would be great. Mm. Um, and then uh, during that point, we thought, okay, I think uh, the public started to donate again and said, we want to help restaurants that are struggling as well because people are now minimizing interaction. They're not going out and the restaurants suffer every time. So we thought, okay, let's buy from some of these restaurants that need the help and then they send that food to the hospitals. Um, that, that, that's, that was in, that, those are the recent ones. I'm also Down Syndrome Association um, mm-hmm. have asked for help as well. And, we, and it can be in any, any, any format. Um, so for those guys, they wanted to fundraise and we said, how about take six pairs of rides and auction them? So they did and they, they, they managed to raise over five figures in Sing Dollars which is immense, you know. Um, other things that we've done is turn up at elderly folks' homes and then carry the old folks into the sidecars and take them out for an hour. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> you know, and that's like the first time they've been out for a really long time because they yeah. don't really go out much. <laughs> and they love it. They absolutely love it. So there's like a, almost an unlimited um, amount of things that you can do just with a, with just with a vest <laughs> with a sidecar. <laughs> It's yeah. like layers upon layers of happiness. And yes. When, when yeah. people rent a sidecar, they're part of a, you know, it's a social enterprise, which is very big now. People want to buy things that make them feel good because of yeah. the thing that they bought, but also yeah. because they're supporting a, a good cause. And I think yeah. Singapore sidecars is that. And I want to backtrack a bit on what I said about our government. I'm sure there are other organizations here working with the government yeah. that I just don't know about. Maybe the government's being yeah. supportive here as well i just don't know about them so just, yeah. uh, it's interesting to like interview some of those local people who are doing the same thing here in, in the philippines but, yeah right because of uh but let's just the last thing again you built all these things um you already had the your cost which was raising funds for cancer and other causes and then it just sort of like you're the Vespa and then the sidecar of everything just, yeah. <laughs> just connected and then and now you got this um, vehicle literally and figuratively of, of helping yeah. people it's not an easy thing I would imagine for it sounds simple when you say it but what is your background what, what enables you to do all of these logistics it would be a logistical nightmare and you need a lot of connections it's not just like I'm a, I'm a good person with good intentions. I can. I'm sure you have like a professional or business background that is. Yeah, that enables I, you to I do all this. Professional training, but I'm not sure which part of, of it really, um, you know, makes something like this happen. I think it really is. It is. I think good intention, and if it's genuine and authentic, people sense that. I, I see. I see. Really connect. You know, I think that really is the key ingredient. Um, 
and the, maybe my original training, I, you know, I did a whole bunch of things as a kid that I love, you know, martial arts is one of them. Mm. I, I did that since I was, I was a, a little kid and, um, and I'm still, still practicing up to now. I absolutely love, uh, physical movement. Right. Yeah. Um, so martial arts is one of those things I've probably done longer than anything else. Um, and then along the way, um, I, I love, always loved drawing and painting. So I ended up becoming a designer. So I studied design professionally. I studied, I took a degree in design in London. And then I, I started working in London um, as a designer. Uh, I never liked having a job. I did not like being, you know, having a full-time job. That was just weird. Right, um, right, right. I think it's a lot to do with being... You and me both. And move. And having, having done martial arts for long enough, you can feel when the body is, is starting to stiffen up uh, and you need to, you can't sit there for eight hours at a computer it's not natural so so i always feel like getting up moving around um so i never i never had a, a job i never wanted one um because i wanted to, to listen to my body to make sure that the body stays healthy um so i was i was practicing as a designer but as a freelance one so i would not have to go to work every day um and i became an actor that was mm. weird so I graduated as a designer. One of the first jobs I took other than freelance design was as a professional actor in mm-hmm. the UK. So uh, specifically, I joined a children's theatre, right. um, Polka Theatre in Wimbledon Broadway. So um, there's, a, there's a bunch of theatres along there. And this was a, a really good quality children's theatre. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason I got that job, you can't just suddenly turn up in London you know, turn up at a theater and go, hey, man, I want to be an actor. That's right, cool. right, right, right. I'm yeah, sure yeah, it's very yeah. competitive. It. Yeah, yeah, and it's tough. Um, so I was lucky because they were specifically, they had a show that, that, that um, called The Magic Paintbrush. It was a children's story, and it's an old Chinese tale. Um, so they basically said, we, we, there are five main actors for this. We're looking for the lead actor. All of you need to know martial arts or Beijing opera. Or oh, something. wow. Yeah, so I had the martial arts. Yeah. So I turned up. Uh, and I went for the audition and, uh, and then the, the director who is now a Dane, Dane is like, you know, like a sir, right? So it's a Dane, Dane Vicky Island. Um, she auditioned me and she said, so which drama school did you go to? And I said, I, I didn't go to drama school. And then she said, you're joking, right? <laughs> I said, no, no, I didn't go to drama school. And then she's like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> she thought I went to drama school. She thought, yeah. she thought I was pulling a leg and maybe I just didn't want to tell her what drama school. Um, and then uh, two months later, and I knew that some very, very good, properly trained actors, you know, professionally trained yeah. actors that went for the job as well. Two months later, she called me up and I bugged her in between. I said, hey, am I going to get a job? Am I getting the job? I bugged her a few times. Um, and she phoned up and said, well, we'd love, love to give you the job. You're, you're exactly the right person for, the, for it. And I couldn't believe it. And then, and then she said, you know, there's, you cannot work professionally as an actor in London if you're not a member of equity and you cannot become an, a member of equity unless you went to drama school and you haven't done that. But there's a loophole. Every theatre has two equity memberships to give out every year mm-hmm. if they have very, very good reason. And then she told me at that point, you're, you're a natural, you're very good at this. And, and, and I think we can put up a good case to, to get you that membership. So they got me equity membership and I, and I started practicing as a professional actor. I did that for two years. So I did two, two tours of the UK on two different shows. Um, both times it was main cast. Um, so that was really fun. Um, so so those, those things, I guess, um, performance and, and design, it's all creative stuff. Uh, that's that, those are the things that um, I guess 
I feel a lot of energy and a, right. uh, and I'm quite driven by those things. And I think sidecars is is definitely a creative thing. You you keep on com- coming up with you know mm-hmm. new ways to <laughs> to use a sidecar or yeah. or new tour routes or um, new marketing material. You know the, the yeah. next photo shoot. You know how you know how do you make make the, the next set of photos cooler than the last set so it's, yeah. it's 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 still the practice of those those design skills that, that i kind of learned hi this is jamie fournier tune into insightful conversations about the ins and outs of the bpo industry delivered to you by a fun podcast series featuring some of vxi's very own bpo heroes all of that and more only on vxi conversations powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. So I guess when, like you said, good intention and when people really sense that you like what you're doing and you're really serious about it, the logistical people will come, you know, the, the, yeah. the business people will come and everyone... The team around you will yeah. form, I guess, it's, as long as... Yeah, so exactly like you said, it's, the team started to form itself. Mm-hmm. And um, we started to attract some very, very heavyweight professionals from the hospitality industry. So right, right. behind the scenes, we now have two experienced guys from Mandarin Oriental. So yeah. when you book a sidecar tour, you're being served by Mandarin Oriental. <laughs> These are the guys behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. that, are, that are doing the coordinating. Um and we we have we have a very good rider, a new rider. I mean, all the riders are great. That, that, that one of our new riders is uh, an ex-director from Intercontinental. I mean, these guys are in their forties, right, right, right. decades of experience. And uh, he's he's he said to us, so he, he's he's done his time in hospitality. He wants to do something that just feels much more real and authentic. And he's loved scooters since he was a kid, and he can fix every scooter. You know, he knows everything about them. Um, ex-hotel director, though, you know, and but all he wants to do is ride a scooter because it, it's uh, it makes people happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're lucky we attract this uh, this level of, of uh, professionalism. We yeah. have uh, an ex-Singapore Air Force fighter pilot. We've had an ex-Singapore Airlines pilot, like a seasoned pilot, yeah. mechanics. Uh, we have a professional architect. Um, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of characters riding these things. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But I think the thing that ties them together is um, it's genuine. It's authentic. It, it doesn't matter what walk of life they come from. Yeah. They just love the machine. So it doesn't matter who the person next to you is. You know, It could be yeah. an architect or it could be... Uh, you know, it could be a guy that runs a coffee shop. You yeah. know, there's, there's a whole spectrum of people riding these. And, and this machine kind of connects them in a very authentic way. Yeah. So since I was uh, trained in uh, TV shopping, I think it's time to ask. <laughs> you know, I think the listener is already convinced. Like, but how much is it? Like, how much would it cost them to, to rent a Singapore sidecar? Given that it's also, of course, a social enterprise for charity. So I, I'm sure yeah. they're willing to spend money. But yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. it gives an idea of how much yeah. it costs. Yeah. So uh, it's 180 Singapore dollars an hour, but mm-hmm. look out for deals. So there are a lot of good deals with a lot of the online travel agents. Yeah, so keep an eye out for those. And once in a while, you know, there's a one for one, or uh, there are the 11, 11, 12, 12s. All these oh, right. very cool flash sales. Yeah, look out, look out for the special offers as well. Um, and there are one, two, and three hour tours. Mm. Um, I think you. 
you will agree with the fact that a one hour tour is probably a bit short and it'll kind of, you know, at the end of one hour. Yeah, it's my experience. It's a bit short. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we get that same feedback even after two hours. Folks will say, oh man, I wish I could do more time on this. Um, we used to get a lot of transit passengers doing three hours, you know, guys that have one or two Ooh, hours. Wow. Yeah, they will do the three hours. The, mm. the, the, the couple that holds the record for the longest tour, and it's not, it wasn't a continuous tour, they booked it for eight hours. Crazy. There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple from Spain, you know, transit, and they're like, we only have a day in town, you know? So they booked it for seven hours, and we helped them plan a route that, that enabled them to see pretty much everything. Yeah. And then it was dinner time and they said, okay, we're going for dinner now. And then, and then the wife said, you know what? Actually, dinner's an hour from now. Can we do another hour? <laughs> it was crazy. Were they transit passengers or were they were staying in Singapore? Transit. Oh, transit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They stopped uh, over in Singapore. And instead of, yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of like going to a hotel or just eating, they just booked they, the Singapore side. They, they'll right. spend a day on a sidecar, yeah. yeah. Or, or they, it's, you know, it's somebody that only has uh, two days, one night. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So we used to get a whole ton of those doing that. Yeah, it's just amazing. So again, just curious, what martial art have you been practicing since you were? Oh, there, there's a whole bunch, you know. So you're growing up overseas, you're growing up in London, mm. uh, and you have an Asian face. So uh, you 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 got to learn to fight. <laughs> and oh. it's not something I enjoyed. Um, but I, I learned how to fight when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, so I would be learning. Uh, my, my teachers were great. So... Um, I, I joined a few different martial arts classes that my, my, my father knew some of the, the masters. And um, I learned uh, variously, mostly. Uh, I spent a lot of time fighting um, with uh, Taekwondo. So mm -hmm. I'll be fighting two or three times a week uh, from my teens all the way into my 20s. Um, during that time, I'd also picked up Kung Fu, Tai Chi, dabbled in things like Wing Chun. Uh, and then I, I kept on revisiting Wing Chun. Um, something that, that's very, very interesting. But mostly, after getting all the injuries from fighting, um, I realized that when you do something like Tai Chi, very interesting, you know, all the aches and pains start to subside really quickly. And, and, and your, your mental approach to things, because when you're taught to fight, especially in a place like London, you yeah. have to be extremely aggressive. Yeah. You're taught to overcome extreme force with even greater force, even if it hurts you, just keep going, don't back down, just keep going. And you, you, you will feel the pain. And that was the approach to training as well. You just keep going, your knuckles are bruised, you know, your skin starts, starts breaking, you see a bit of blood, just keep going. Yeah. Uh, you get hit, it hurts, just stand there, just keep going. Um, but then you realize you do that for a few years and you've got all these aches and pains. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And, and at that point, I just, I wasn't looking for Tai Chi. I just happened to chance upon uh, a Tai Chi instructor who was uh, also uh, one of the teachers at school. So then he said, hey guys, you know, instead of doing sports on a Wednesday, anyone fancy doing Tai Chi? And I was curious. So me and a whole bunch of martial arts friends, we wanted to just keep on doing martial arts related stuff. And then we realized, hey man, with Tai Chi, all, all, all this sort of aches and pains and the, the tightness that you get yeah. in, in shoulders when you're from repeatedly punching stuff and your shoulder keeps on coming out once in a while, yeah. all that pain goes away and the shoulder starts to heal and the aggression melts away. So you're no longer uh, approaching uh, challenges by pushing hard. And then you realize that your approach to relationship becomes much more... Um, much more dexterous, you know, so mentally right, right. You, you, you become much more agile rather than, oh, this is tough, I'll just push, or this is hard, I'm just going to push harder, you know, because after doing hard training, 
that that kind of seeps into the the way you're approaching mentally as well the, the way you approach challenges yeah so so that that made it started to make a bunch of us um me and my training buddies right a lot more happier as as people as well yeah. so a whole bunch of us uh, continued to do uh softer martial arts so we started doing tai chi a lot so that's been going on for decades now up to this point <laughs> yeah uh, but i still i still dabble in in the hard martial arts because i enjoy it i'll still punch a bag um i right, right. do that to keep up things like the cardio which which suffered a lot during lockdown it didn't get out enough to do the cardio work yeah yeah before i ask you about um like how you keep fit I'm, I was actually uh, in Taekwondo also from, yeah, I'm a high brown belt in, in Taekwondo. Yeah. And what you said about, like, I have this scar here. I have like a screw in my wrist because my wrist, the bone broke. So I, I totally relate to you when you said about the aggressive martial arts. I did it from when I was in fourth grade up until college. And then, you know, I still want to be active. Like you said, you know, you go to like Muay Thai classes and then I did like one, two, three classes and my injuries started speaking up, you know, just, <laughs> they were like complaining, like you can't kick that hard anymore because the end step is still messed up. My knee clicks randomly, you know, everything's stiff. And so I got into yoga this uh, like a few years, or not, not really a few years, but almost six years back. Got into yoga. It's both like mellowing down from the aggressive martial arts and also like, being at peace with the fact that I'm getting older. So, <laughs> and there is Tai Chi in our city park here in Quezon City Circle. So I might try it. Now that you said that it melts my... Because now everything still hurts and I still try to do weights. You know, I'm still trying to resist old age. But how, what do you do to, to, to keep fit? Because you're pretty fit. Do you do, still do cardio? Is it... Yeah, yeah. I, diet so, and Tai Chi? Uh, I, I was cycling a lot. So... Soft lockdowns, right, for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so we weren't generally encouraged to go out if we could help it. But prior to that, I was cycling. Um, I lived sort of halfway, so somewhere in the middle, slightly east of Singapore. So you can cycle to the airport. Um, it'd be like a couple of hours round trip there and back. So I used to used to do that cycle to one of the villages near the airport, have breakfast, cycle back. So I do that uh, once or twice a week. Um, but then um, I got into spin recently. Yeah. So <laughs> buy one of those peloton. No, 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 no. Been, so when classes restarted, oh, studio, people right. are allowed, you know, to go back into exercise studio. So that that's that's my cardio. But I started punching bags again recently, and um, um, you you realize that you can't stop that. You have to keep. Yeah. That's there's another uh, layer of cardio when you do stuff yeah. like that, and that suffered a bit. So 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 that 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 brings the cardio back. But aside from that, the tai chi is actually really tough. Um, a lot of the exercises look simple, but uh, we, so I, I had teachers that would make me do movements like this, you know, so stuff like this to, to sort of soften the, the shoulders and the arms. Uh, and then you do that for nine hours. Okay. And you're standing in this slightly like a half squat position. Yeah. Nine hours, three right. hours at a time. Then you, you know, you go and have a tea break, three hours, have some lunch, come back, do it again, three hours. Uh, so, so one, a lot of my teachers are they either uh, retired or passed away. So, um, and uh, one of the retired teachers used to make us do that a, a week, you know, for for a week oh. continuously. Yeah, uh, we were lucky that we had that old generation of teachers. It was really mm. tough, really tough training. Um, it gets really tough. Uh, you build you build really really strong quads. Um, it's very 
very good if you're recovering from injuries and, and it will help to support your other martial arts. So, so I ended up with two slip discs from all the, the Taekwondo mm. and the fighting and, um, and I couldn't walk properly for about two years. I was literally just hobbling along and, um, and the, the knees were, were quite damaged from the repeated kicking. Yeah. And, uh, but the worst thing was the back. And doctors told me that I, I had to replace one part with titanium, fuse the spine together, mm. and I would lose 50% mobility for life. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And, and anyone that has had slip discs before would tell you it's 24-hour pain because the, the discs pop out and then they, they press onto your sciatic nerve. And, and my nerve yeah. was squashed. You know, it, when I look at the scans, it looked like, oh, my God, this thing is like one or two millimeters. You know, it's completely squashed. And you get hot pain, cold pain, uh, the neck goes, the leg would go randomly numb, you get pins and needles, shooting pain, and it's around the clock. You cannot concentrate. Yeah, and it was like that on and off for two years, but I was lucky. I, I, I went on a yoga journey as well, like yourself. Um, so I mostly did Tai Chi to self-heal. Um, I, I had a very good meditation teacher who was on the medical team for Li um, Sien Lung, Singapore's prime minister, right? He was on the medical team when Li Sien Lung had a cancer episode quite some time back. And this meditation teacher originally trained as a doctor. So he has a very scientific approach to things. Very good teacher. So I, I learned from him for a number of years. So I would, I would do a combination of Tai Chi with meditation. And um, that, would, that would actually kill off the pain for long enough that I, I could actually start to walk normally. Mm. It would take about two hours. You know, you'd have to meditate and then you'd have to go and do Tai Chi for, you know, mm. for an hour or, or more. And the body started to function like normal for wow. maybe a two hour pocket of time. Right. So I would go out, run errands, see the doctor. And, and when you turn up at the doctors uh, the, during those times, you walk in like a normal guy and show them your scans and they look at the scan. They look how messed up your spine is. They look at you and they don't believe that's you. They say, no, that's not you. This is a, this is a yeah. here. You just walked in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that the, the, the period of uh, pain freeness would, would gradually extend over that period of two years until I could, I could walk again. And there was a day when I could actually run for a bus. It was amazing because mm. I would be hobbling trying to get onto a bus uh, prior to that. And I could not make it, you know, the buses would stop. They look at this guy walking slowly. They think, Oh, I don't think, I don't think he's serious. And they drive off. So I can never catch a bus. But there was a, there was a day when I could actually drag my leg along and move a bit quicker. And that was, that was amazing, that feeling. Um, but long story short is now um, stronger than it was pre-injury. Uh, yoga, yoga was, was one of the things that helped at the end as well to, to restore, start to restore the, the flexibility. So I lost, lost a lot of flexibility, two years without stretching. Yeah. And it's, it's a very rare thing. Like when I tell my friends to do yoga, you know, the culture here, I think is still very macho, you know, right? Right, so right. It's like, oh, why, why would I do yoga as, as a guy? Tough, yeah, <laughs> it is hard. tough once you, I guess that's my perception of Tai Chi now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was my previous perception of yoga. But once yeah, you try yeah. yoga, it's really, really tough. You sweat a lot. So maybe when I try Tai Chi, I think it's just easy, but then you get yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I can show you one thing. Viewers can try this on their own. I won't do the whole thing because it's like a 15-minute exercise, right? Oh, so right. you could just stand there like this, okay? Which, uh, first of all, I'll show you what your legs need to do, okay? Yeah, let's try to describe it because this is like a more, more of an uh, audio. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you need to stand with your feet shoulder width, okay? Right. And just squat down as if you're putting your, your backside onto table or a very high stool okay mm. so you're, you're kind of doing a half squat 
you bend your knees, you push your hip down, and you can feel immediately your thighs are engaging. Okay? Mm. That's, that's the first feeling you should get. Feel that your thighs are engaging. Okay, and then lift your arms like you're hugging a tree. Okay, so your fingers are open, your thumbs are pointed up, like holding two thumbs ups, and you imagine that you're holding a tree. Imagine there's a piece of string at the top of your head, so your spine is nice and straight, and then don't move for 15 minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's why it's one of the foundational exercises. So, so we were told when we were kids, 15 minutes is the basic standard. So do that twice a day, 15 in the morning, 15 at night. And um, that would extend later on. And you'd end up doing that for um, 20 minutes and they'll push you to half an hour. Once you can do that, they, they get you to do it on one leg. Okay, so you're standing, you're standing like this, you're standing like that, and that will be your 15-minute exercise. Right. Yeah, your, your legs are killing you. They'll be they'll be shaking like hell. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. similar to yoga when you hold like pretty easy poses, but then when you hold it for like oh, 10 yeah, breaths, well, like you'll be yeah. sweating. And, and yeah, everything. exactly. And the strength that you get from that though, it's immense, you know? All right. So that's the first time I've heard about Tai Chi. It's amazing. Uh, listen, Simon, our conversation just went from everything from sidecars to cars up until fitness, which I, I really want to explore Tai Chi because I have a 10 to 90s on my right shoulder that, hasn't completely healed from from lifting barbells and heavy yeah 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 and I, I would just do tense and but maybe yoga helped also i had yeah. back pain also and everything you know the works yoga has helped that and then maybe tai chi can help me grow older even stronger <laughs> to be able to walk and travel and you know i'm sure you will yeah yeah you will get uh, stronger as you age with that sort of exercise Oh yeah. So Simon, I'm I'm sure you're a busy person. So once again, thank you very much for saying thank yes. You. And for thank our you. listeners, Singapore isn't open yet, as is the rest of the world. Of course, a lot are closing up because of the new variant and everything. But it's just a a worthy thing to keep on your list or your your saved uh, posts on Instagram because Singapore sidecars. And I think you you're a good actor also because you're a good communicator. Is what I what I saw when you talk to us early in the morning. I'm not really a morning person, but really my, my interest was like, all right, let's do this. And when I saw the sidecar, it was just a, uh, it was even drizzling when I experienced it, but it doesn't dampen it, the, it didn't dampen the experience. So it was a uh, just good vibes um, experience and um, congratulations on everything that you've achieved with the, your courses and the sidecar. So once again, can you invite our viewers to follow your socials or, your, yeah, your yeah. personal Instagram, if you want to follow your personal Instagram, go ahead. I can't find the password for my personal Instagram. So this is one of the one of many issues I have with tech. Yeah. Everything needs a password. My phone has got my face print and it's got my, my passcode. And then it asks for a password. And then yeah. it says, okay, you're going to retrieve that from your email that you don't use anymore, that you don't know the password to. Yeah, a recovery thing to a mobile phone you don't own anymore. So, yeah, yeah. so, but so that that's the story of my personal Insta. So go to Singapore Sidecars, Instagram Singapore Sidecars, or Facebook Singapore Sidecars, and and we can talk there. Oh, it's amazing. So once again, to the listeners, thank you very much for listening to uh, this episode of Sabine with Victor. Again, I'm thinking of. Um, forming a Facebook or a, a Telegram group where we can see visuals of our guests and all the links. So it's going to be, I'm thinking of calling it Vic Heads, you know, like Dick Heads. But Vic, <laughs> just, so they, just so they don't have a high expectation. What's of the logo uh, look like? I, <laughs> I still have to think of that. But, you know, since my name is Victor, so I'm, I'm thinking of that, you know, and maybe, I don't know, like you attract people, you know, it would be interesting to like form a, something like what you did, like 
in, um, attract people from from different walks of life, from different uh, connections, just to see what happens, you know, see where it goes. So once again, if you like this episode, please do tag me on at Victor Anastasio and um, the Spotify rap just came out. Very thankful for the people who had me on their top five podcast or even top one podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you because as a stand-up comedian, uh, I live for uh, love and attention from strangers. So thank you very much. And also tag Singapore Sidecars if you like this episode. Sharing is caring. So once again, peace out, stay safe. And when it's safe to travel, Simon is there to receive you and uh, welcome you for Singapore Sidecars. All right. Have a nice day, everyone. Stay safe. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.